0: Welcome to Let's Get Two, the baseball podcast from the fans' perspective. Now, here's your host, James Christopher. And welcome back to Let's Get Two. Did those division series live up to the hype or what? I'm trying to remember a more exciting series of divisional playoff games. And, you know, off the top of my head, I just can't. Three of them go to five games. Two of them result in upsets. You you can't... You, you, I know Cardinals and Braves were pretty closely matched, but the fact of the matter is Braves had home field. You got to say that they were the favorite going in. And obviously the Dodgers were the favorite to the Nationals. And so what an exciting series. You saw great pitching. I'm going to say that Kevin Cash... You know, I always I respected what the Rays did, but that was some incredible managing on his part. I, I don't know that it, it felt like watching almost like a National League game the way he was managing, working that bullpen. It's not a style of baseball I really like, but you just can't help but pat your pat the the Rays on the back and pat Kevin Cash on the back. You had key hits. You had Yadier Molina, who sets a record for most National League postseason games. And delivers twice in – well, more than twice, but really delivers knockout blows in two of those games. You know, when I was thinking about it, there are so many people that say, oh, baseball's boring or I don't like baseball. It's not exciting, blah, 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 blah. It, and, and I get it in an attention span decreasing world as that we live in where, where people don't want to focus on something that has suspense and that takes time to play out. You know, that's, you know, we see that all the time and I'm a movie guy, right? That's what I do professionally. So I see that I get it to a degree, but the tension and the stress that comes in playoff baseball where, you know, everybody's going to get your 27 outs, You can't run the clock out on anybody. No lead is safe. And all you do is look at that Dodgers game. Look at that Dodgers game five, three to one. You know, and, and a lot of people are going to get on Dave Roberts for the decision to put, to put Clayton Kershaw in that position. But watch Kenley Jansen in the second half of the season and tell me if you felt that like that lead was safe if you were a Dodger fan. But three was it three pitches and all of a sudden the three to one lead is gone and now it's tied. And then it's the 10th inning and then you get a grand slam. I mean, it's it, it is what makes baseball beautiful. It's crazy. It's nuts. It's unpredictable. And just, again, nothing beats playoff baseball. Congrats to the Cardinals. Congrats to the Yankees. Congrats to the Nationals. And congrats to the Astros for advancing. And then now we've got a very interesting, no matter how you cut it, World Series setup. Because you're going to get two heavyweights that most people expected to be there. And then you're going to get two scrappy teams that everybody overlooked because they were too busy talking about the Dodgers all season. You're going to get a really compelling series. And sure, the Yankees, um, you know, are the only team really that the national media wants in. Because again, we've talked about this before, ratings are ratings. But either way, no matter which of those four teams ends up boiling down to the final two, it's going to be a World Series that is going to pit so many different styles of baseball against each other that you can't help but be excited if you're a baseball fan. And if you're not, or you know somebody that isn't, now is the time to get them in. But we've got a lot of guests coming up. People that you've heard from all season that are come talking. They're going to talk Cardinals. They're going to talk Astros. They're going to talk Yankees. It was hard for me to find a a Nationals fan down here, but we've got them all coming up. We're also going to continue to focus. Like, what is the point of our show? The point of our show is minor league baseball. And we're going to talk to JD Davis from the Corpus Christi hooks. The hooks, as you might remember, were our double A team of the year. And then we're going to talk to John Moses from the Trenton Thunder. They won the Eastern League this year. So we've got just, again, a jam-packed baseball show to the point that I'm going to do something that my wife has been asking me to do for about 19 years of marriage, and I'm going to stop talking. From the bleachers, the let's get to game of the week. And we're excited for our In the Bleacher segment to welcome back the marketing director for the Corpus Christi Hooks. They are the AA affiliate for the Houston Astros and our AA team of the year for Let's Get to J.D. Davis. J.D., how's it going?
1: It's going great. It's going great. And thank you for the award. You know, we uh, we appreciate it. We've actually we I was out of town for a couple of weeks. I came back and had a box. I'm like, oh, this is exciting and and (laughs) opened it up and we've got it displayed. Um, right outside of uh, uh, our GM's office, right now we've got a, a makeshift trophy case for some stuff down there, and so um, we we're talking, trying to figure out what we where we wanted to have its uh, its official final final place to go, and so we're working on that. But thank you so much for that award.
0: I think uh, embedded in the center field wall seems appropriate, but that's just be perfect. one man's yeah. opinion. Uh, <laughs> you know, part of it was, you know, we we followed a lot of teams this season, JD, and I feel like no one worked harder to keep the fans going and coming out to the ballpark than you guys did. And so just like broad strokes, how did it go this year from your opinion?
2: Yeah.
1: You know, we were really, really um, happy, really proud of the work that um, that our whole team was able to do this year. Um, and, and I think also really excited about the way fans responded. You know, there's a lot of stuff we're we're kind of in the middle of it right now, getting stuff ready for next year already. And um, you never know what the fan reaction is going to be. And, and um, luckily this year, we had a lot of fun things, um, you know, looking back at, at two of the big things that, that we've kind of been celebrating recently. We were nominated for a couple of golden bobbleheads through minor league baseball. Um, and one of those was for our phone free game, um, which was a ton of fun and kind of out there and exciting and, and had a conversation started about it on social media, which is really cool. And the other was our. Uh, the Josh Reddick wrestling pillow wrestling <laughs> right. buddy that we did, which was just that was super cool. And it was fun. Um, you know, at the at the minor league level, a lot of times we can do some of these uh, major, you know, former players that are major league stars now and do something, but we don't really get to interact with those guys. And so it was super cool. And Josh was such a great, um, uh, a great character and, and had fun with it. We were able to go up to Houston and shoot a video with him. And he was ex- as excited about the giveaway as we were, which was really, really cool and, and a fun experience this year.
0: I do. I do love that. And I, I think one of the has to be one of the benefits for you guys being so close to Houston. And, you know, as, as an aside, it's it feels like reddick has been here his whole career. He really has done his best to ingratiate himself and his personality into the city. And I think that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and, and uh, we weren't able to see him obviously come up through the minors, but we had a rehab appearance with him. And, um, and so got to see him down here in Corpus for uh, a couple of games um, uh, in 20, I believe it was 2018. I think it was just a year ago when he was here. Um, and, and yeah, you know, it's, it's great for us to have that relationship with the Astros um, and being so close. I think we've talked about this before. We, we're in that really sweet spot for a, for an affiliate um, where we're close enough that we're in definite Astros country and Corpus Christi is a huge um, Astros fan base, but we're far enough away too where we can have our own kind of unique identity and we can still you know, be our own team and kind of stand on our own. Um, and, and we've talked about that, comparing that to other minor league teams and things like that. So it's a really, really great setup. And the Astros have been um, just a huge support for us um, with tons of things, with rehab appearances, um, helping us piggyback on giveaway items, um, sharing ideas, just kind of having having a big brother that we can bounce things off of and uh, get good feedback from is really really great.
0: I know that my favorite weekend, as you could probably guess, was was definitely Blue Ghost Weekend. Um, how, just but what about you, for you personally? Like, I mean, I know you worked so hard putting all this together. You're already working on 2020. Which one did you pull off? And you thought to yourself. Yeah, this went exactly the way we kind of hoped it would.
1: Oh, exactly the way. Um, (laughs) Right, fair question. None of them, I don't think, go exactly away. But um, you know, they—they. I think my favorite favorite one um, the last couple of years, and it's really—it's a smaller one, but I just love it, and um, uh, it's our Christmas in July, and. Um, and the reason that I love the Christmas, I'm not, I'm, I like Christmas. I love celebrating family and things like that, but I'm not like a crazy, you know, decorate the whole house, but we do this cool thing where we hire a, uh, an ice company to come out and make an actual snow hill, um, in 90 degree weather in South Texas in July, where even when it's, you know, when it's January, we don't have snow most of the time. Um, and, uh, and have them make a, a, a hill that we take some tubes and people get to go, um, sled down and. Um, I was able, like the, the favorite thing about my job, I guess, is I was able to go and sit and kind of watch that for about 20 minutes during the game and just watch. And I'm kind of nervous. You know, it's a long line. Families are having to wait, you know, 20 or 30 minutes sometimes to, to get to it just because it's it's it takes some time to go through. And so I'm, I'm nervous about, you know, people getting upset about waiting or, 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 you know, not thinking that it's worth it. And just seeing the smiles, not just on the kids faces because the kids are having fun, but the parents are having a blast, like watching their kids uh, participate in this and like the parents' eyes light up a little bit, even more than the kids' eyes do sometimes. <laughs> and so that was kind of my favorite moment, I think, of the year was was seeing that. And you see this this weird idea that that it, at first it's kind of, is this even possible is what, you know, when we throw those ideas and you talk about blue goats, that was the same thing with when we first did batting practice on the Lex in 2018, you know, the idea was, is this even possible? And then once we were like, okay, it's kind of possible. Like, okay, well, how do we do it? Um, and then you see them kind of come to full fruition. It's uh, it's a lot of fun.
0: One of the things that you, you and you did mention, uh, you did mention the no cell phone night. And I want to talk a little bit about that because I know that there was some controversy and I really loved the idea. And I think with both my jobs, both doing this show and then also the the other job, which is you know running the film festival and stuff, I have to be connected and I hate it. So mm-hmm. tell me about that night, going into it, how did people react? And then did you feel like people came out of it going, that was actually a better experience outside of the fact that I think Springer was there and that might've been the one right. night they wanted their phones.
1: Right. Yeah. So we, you know, we put this date on the calendar and then, um, you know, it's 48 hours before, before we get, you know, we we're kind of playing, paying attention to it, but we get the official email. It's like, Hey, yeah, uh, George is going to be in Corpus Christi on Thursday night. Um, so be ready for that. And, and we kind of have a, a, a real brief moment of, Uh, we're still doing this phone free thing, right? Like we're still going to do this. And everybody's like, yeah, okay, we're in. We, you know, the office is bought in, like we're going to do it. And um, I think the, uh, having, having Springer here, it, it was, uh, it was, it was beneficial because one, it shined a spotlight on the fact that we were doing this phone free event. And we had kind of picked the Thursday night because we said, you know, we want everybody that's coming to the game to know this is happening. Um, we don't want to pick like a Saturday, maybe, where somebody's just walking up and doesn't know what the promotion is or anything like that. So we picked a Thursday where it was the only thing going on. And then, of course, Springer comes down. And so it kind of blows it up. But it was nice. It really, really got the conversation going. Um, obviously, you know, there's there's, um, there's mixed feedback. And, and I think the great thing was, you know, obviously. Um, I don't remember any part of the conversation on social media that, that you know. so often you see things in comments. that's just negative and name calling and things like that. But we actually had fans that were having conversations about it in the comments. And, and that was the biggest thing I think for us is where, um, it was, it was a chance for, for people to talk about it and have a conversation about it and then coming out to the game. Um, you know, there were, there were a handful of fans that, uh, that didn't want to participate. But I think the thing that we were stressing is, um, if, if I come to the game and, and, uh, use my phone and the person next to me is trying to have a phone-free experience, even though they're not on their phone, like it's not a phone-free experience for them. It's not, you know, there's still, there's still the extra noise. There's still, you know, people not having conversation. There's still that going on. And so fortunately, you know, 99% of the fans um, bought in and had fun with it and had a good time. And after the game, we had a ton of fans. I, I made sure to go stand outside of the gates as people were putting their phones in uh, They or getting their phones back out of the pouches, putting the pouches away um, to say thanks for coming out and thanks for doing this experiment with us and having a good time and having great conversations with fans and said, you know what, like this was actually kind of fun. Like this was a cool way to do this. And it was unique. And, you know, we were the first professional uh, baseball team to be able to do that. And um, it was, it was really cool. Um, and, and like, you know, I'm, I'm the same way as you, you know, running a marketing department um, and, and so much of what we do relies on our digital space and, and what we're doing on social media and on the website and things like that. And so, um, I, I, very much enjoyed kind of unplugging for, um, a little bit and, uh, our staff participated. We put our, put our phones in the pouch and went silent on social media and everything there. And so, um, it was, it was an experience and it's, you know, it's not something we're not, we're not trying to take people's phones away. We're not trying to, um, we're not going to come and suggest that we do this, you know, every week or every night next year or anything like that. But we say, Hey, we want to pick one game, um, that makes it, you know, gives you an obligation to say, Hey, you know what, put your phone away and just enjoy the game with friends and family.
0: And so, will you guys be doing it again next year? We haven't locked
1: in a date. I'm, I'm saying it's it's on the uh, we're we're kind of in that brainstorming s- stage. Um, I would say it's likely, but we don't have anything locked in yet. Um, I do know we're going to be doing the the uh, coastal bin weekend again. Th- that was a part of, and so we're kind of working on the details of what all went into that. And so we had a you know a beach sweep. We'd like to make that even bigger and better this year, um, and do some more things out in the community. Um, and and the whole goal of that weekend was to to remind people. Um, that you don't have to go far from Corpus Christi to get out and enjoy the outdoors and yeah, can getting you ta- out. Talk a little be. bit
0: more about that because we, I, I actually, that was, was actually an event I came down to cover part of, and I, you know, I definitely talked about it on the show, but th- that was something that you don't see in minor league baseball from a community perspective. So just give everybody just real quick, what coastal weekend Bend weekend was.
1: Yeah. I think the um, kind of the impetus of it, we knew we wanted to do something to celebrate, uh, the outdoors here in Corpus Christi and, and the surrounding area. And I think kind of the, the thing that that um, really solidified it for us was we said, you know, let's let's make up this this brand and this look that says, what if the Coastal Bend was a national park or what if it was a state park? You know, obviously we have Padre Island National Seashore just down the road from us. But if we said, you know, here's Coastal Bend National Park, what does that kind of look Um, and feel look like and then also what does that mean for us what would we do as a baseball team to celebrate that and so for us it was about reminding the folks here in Corpus Christi you don't have to go to San Antonio you don't have to go to Austin or Houston Um, you know I just spent spent a week um, we were in El Paso for the Innovator Summit with minor league baseball and then my wife and I spent a week Traveling around West Texas, going to national parks and state parks, and hiking and things like that. But it was like you don't have to go out there. You can come. You can stay right at home and enjoy the great outdoors here. Um, and some of that could be let's make sure we're cleaning up our outdoors. You know, the beach sweep and, and recycling um, and working with local conservation groups on what it means to be a, a good citizen of the community. Um, it was just getting outdoors and enjoying some baseball. You know, there's there's some benefit to to sitting in the sun and getting a little vitamin D um, and enjoying watching some future Astros. And so we. Said, you know, let's make sure that that's a part of it and um, just not taking for granted the things that are around us and, and making sure that that's on the forefront of folks. Because I think, you know, Corpus has this mindset. We're kind of this middle sized city where, you know, if you grow up here, there's a little bit of this. I can't wait to, to get away and move away from here. You know, I want to move on to bigger and better things. Um, but but kind of, you know, re- reminding people that this is a great place to live and a great place to be and one, wanting to celebrate that.
0: Yeah, it was it was really great. I like I said, I was out there for I think the Sunday part of it, so that was super fun. And I, I don't want to dive too much into next year um, because obviously we're going to have you on at the beginning of the season. Um, just I, I can, I'm expecting we're looking forward to more great Corpus Christi hooks. And I wanted you to talk real quick about the corn maze.
1: Yes. Oh, yes. Corn maze. So it's the, we've dubbed it the largest Hooks logo ever. Uh, We partnered with this group, Rock and K Farms. It's down here in South Texas. Um, It's about uh, 15 minutes away from the ballpark, uh, just north of Corpus Christi. And um, they have, uh, they've been doing this corn maze and kind of fall festival for, um, I think, five or six years now. Um, And uh, we we were approached by them in April and started working on this project together. Um, And it's kind of, it's crazy. Like you think, um, you know, oh, they just got to cut the logo into the, into the corn. But, you know, we were, we were talking to them before the corn was planted and, um, had this thing working. And so, uh, you can go out to and Cave Farms, take the whole family. There's, there's all sorts of fun stuff to do. There's games and activities. Um, and then of course the big attraction is the giant Hooks logo corn maze. Um, there's some trivia questions in the corn maze. And so you can go out and answer Hooks trivia so you know which direction to go so you don't get wrapped up in there for too long. But, um, it's, uh, it's super cool and, uh, and really fun. We were out there for the kickoff and then, um, we're going to be back out. Uh, I think it's the weekend of the 26th, um, is when we'll be back out there with our, uh, our promo team, um, and some retail items and stuff like that. But you can go out any weekend, go out, go out this weekend, next weekend, um, and see it before, uh, it closes out. I think at the end of the month here. And um, really, really cool and, and a fun partnership. Something you just don't, you know, it's like every day's different in minor league baseball. You never know what kind of meeting you're going to have. And, and it was really cool to have a meeting and say, hey, we want to take your logo and cut it into a giant field of corn. Um, and uh, it was super cool for me. I got to, my father-in-law is actually, uh, my wife's from Illinois. He's a, he's a corn and soybean farmer up in Illinois. And so, um, I'm, I got to talk to him about it and, and share this goofy idea. And so uh, I pitched the the idea. He needs to cut a cut a uh, hooks logo in his cornfield, but I don't think we're going to do that this year.
0: It, that might be a bit of a stretch. So yeah. uh, it's October baseball. Are, are, like, do you get a chance to be a baseball fan now? Or do you just take, do you, do you just completely unplug?
1: Um, it's, it's a little bit of uh, both. I've, I've unplugged for the first couple of weeks on my trip, but um, I'm getting plugged back in. Now, and and obviously uh, uh, two exciting, uh, well, kind of exciting game fives yesterday. Um, and uh, as you're recording this, you know, Astros are getting ready for a game five tonight. And so um, it's it's fun just being in, in, an, in an office full of people that are all, uh, everybody's kind of amped up for a game day, even though we're three hours away. Everybody's excited and you walk in and, and everybody's ready to go and, and a little nervous and stuff like that. And so, um, you know, October baseball is is, is fun And uh, I have to pace myself a little bit because um, I'm an anxious person and I will sit on the edge of my seat for every pitch of the game and just be extremely nervous the whole time. So uh, I definitely have to pace myself this time of year.
0: I haven't eaten in 36 hours and I I have forgotten that it's Texas OU weekend, which is I'm a Longhorn grad. I don't even know how to happen. You got a prediction for tonight?
1: Um, You know, I I think the the Astros are going to pull it out. We'll you know, this is going to be released after we'll see if if I really know it, but Um, I think I'm, I'm a glass half full type person. And so I look at taking it to game five is, is a good thing. um, Because I think everybody's looked at the Astros and said, they're the favorite, they're going to go all the way. Um, And so I think if you can kind of get punched in your mouth a little bit in the first round, and it gives you a little, gives you a little life and gives you a little energy and a little bit of wake up call. um, I think they're going to go into this, the second round with a little more confidence um, and, uh, and have that, that right kind of, instead of the cockiness, having the confidence. And so I, I feel like it's going to be a great game. Um, maybe, maybe, uh, a, a, a low scoring affair, but I think, um, I think the key is that they can score early, you know, if they can get that offense going and get a little, um, swagger in their step, I think they'll be good to go.
0: Well, hopefully I'll eat again soon. Uh, JD, yes. JD Davis, the marketing director for the Corpus Christi Hooks. JD, thanks again for being on. Let's get to, and thank you for again, being so open and, and we can't wait for next year.
1: Absolutely. We can't wait. We'd love to have you guys down and have to love to talk about 2020 promotions as soon as we get some of that stuff, uh, stuff announced in the spring. So uh, yeah, let's get it on the schedule.
0: Absolutely. We'll talk to you soon, brother. Thanks. Go, go Astros, Astros, a focus on H town hardball. And we are with the go, go Astros segment. We are with the head of the go, go Astros segment and the Astros are going to go, go, go to the ALCS Andy, you knew they had it the whole time, didn't you?
3: Um, it was a little touch and go probably uh, Tuesday night. But, yeah, um, I was so confident I didn't even watch the game Tuesday night, putting all my eggs in the Thursday basket.
0: I was a wreck. As you know, um, you you thankfully checked in on me a few times during the night. I do appreciate that. Um, I was a wreck. But uh, what what was it about this team, or what did you learn from this team in this five-game series?
3: Um, I mean, I, I think one of the things that is um, that Astros, and we knew this from 2017, and we knew it from 2018. They're a team that's very smart. And they'll fight, and they're patient. They're certainly more patient than their fans. Um, and I think we've we've seen them overcome adversity uh, because playing the Rays in a five game series is almost the definition of adversity. Um, like we were talking about last night, didn't love everything the Rays were doing uh, with their pitching staff, but it's how they survive um, and how they won 96 games. And for the Astros to basically have to deal with facing 12 different pitchers um, up to nine a night um, and facing some of those pitchers one time for one batter um, multiple times in an inning, uh, that's tough to deal with. Uh, And then you go to a park where historically as a franchise you just don't play well uh, for two games. Um, it was it was a good, gutty uh, series win. And, uh, you know, I, I think that the baseball, not necessarily the results, but the baseball gets smoother from here on
0: out. I would say, and, and I'm always going to be a, a glass-half-empty guy. I'm sorry. No, I'm always going to be a glasses half full guy. Who am I talking to myself? You're going to do glass. <laughs> yeah, I need a new glass. <laughs> so I actually think since you survived and and I think survival is the best way to put it I actually feel like the Astros are better set up having played a gutty game five than um, if they had swept and sat around all week
3: yeah um, I I think there is certainly some um, logic to the school of thought that says uh, playing all the way through taking a day off today to catch your breath and going right into that Yankees series in the ALCS is beneficial for a team like the Astros, um, whereas the Yankees may face a situation, and they may not, but they may face a situation where it takes them a little bit to get their timing down, uh, especially hitter spacing pitchers like Grinky, who is an entirely different beast than Verlander and Cole. But that's you know the first the first three guys offer a different menu of pitches to deal with, and if your timing is not down on Grinke, um he'll make you look bad.
0: One of the things too, and I, and I know that you and I have, have have exhaustedly talked about media coverage of this team, and you know I, I think it's always going to be a situation where, and maybe it's human nature to say, well, one thing is good, therefore everything else is bad, but I don't know if you noticed the tone shift pretty night, pretty quick last night to the Astros are a situation where, according to some of the the, the talking heads, it's Cole and everybody else, and they are like, yeah, what are the Astros going to do when they're down o two? by the time Cole pitches in game three, is it weird how quickly Greinke and Verlander have been forgotten by the national media?
3: Well, it's just silly. Um, you know, some of it's the recency fallacy, right? So Cole, we just saw if there was such a thing as an ALDS MVP, he would have won it for sure. Um, but you saw him carry the Astros through that survival that you talked about. Uh, he, his two starts were the series for us. Um, Verlander is Verlander I I was not thrilled with him going on short rest because I think he's such a creature of habit not that he didn't want the ball not that he couldn't do it not that he necessarily even pitched poorly just he's not going to be at the top of his game without that rest because he's a max effort kind of guy Cole is kind of the same way and they're going to give you excellent starts far more often than they're not going to give you excellent starts um, uh, is the third Cy Young winner in this rotation. And yeah, he had a bad game against Tampa, um, in Tampa. He's had one other bad game. And I think one other game that would qualify as a, um, non-quality start in his 10 starts or 11 starts with the Astros. So more often than not, he's going to pitch and pitch really, really well. one of
0: those was against Tampa.
3: Exactly. Um, and it may just be a situation where Tampa's got his number you know, uh, There's always a team, no matter how good you are, that hits you better than anybody else, and there's not even a reason for it. Conversely, there's always a team of the pitcher that you can get out no matter what – for no particular reason. Mark Portugal was my favorite uh, guy when I was in college because he could uh, dominate the giants. And I really hated the giants at that point for some reason, probably because of Will Clark, but uh, he, he was like, uh, 11, one 12 and one against them on teams that weren't good. Um, and, and I think Grinky with the Rays is kind of the same way. Grinky also to his credit has already beaten the Yankees once this year. Um, and is you know pitches pretty well in his career against them, so it'll be an interesting start. But even if Zach Greinke can't handle the first game, you've got Verlander at full rest on Sunday, and then you've got Cole starting the first first game on the road, um, and then probably your Arcidi, and then probably flipping it back over. So it really sets up pretty nicely for the Astros that you have Verlander two and six, and Cole um, three and seven. If you go to a seventh game. Uh would you like Cole to pitch more than once in a series? Absolutely. But um having him in the reserve for a game seven, not a bad place to be. And I'm guessing if you could eliminate the Yankees in ga- in six games, uh Cole would be available for that sixth game if you needed him.
0: So let's look ahead then. Um and you know it's it's uh not I, a lot didn't of, I just do that? <laughs> you 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 did, but let's look a leg let's look ahead with some degree of specificity. Um, the playoff roster is now going to change again, and we are going to have uh, t- typically the Astros bring more pitchers. Do you think that is the case? And uh, who, what pitchers do you think make it, and what position players lose it?
3: Um, a, a, the position player-wise, it's between Straw and Tucker, I've got to believe. Um, I think Marisnyk still has a lot of uh, clubhouse value, and he's a plus-plus center fielder. I think with Correa being able to hold up for an entire series, which involved, you know, two different flights. So he's figured out how to lay down in a plane. Two different aisles. Well, literally, I think you and I were both saying this, just lay down when you're flying, you'll be fine. No. And then he misses all of the Angel series. Anyway, um, I think that his health makes uh, Miles Straw superfluous to the roster. I think Tucker stays on, but I think they drop that other position player um, because Tucker does give you the ability to put him at first in a pinch um, and can play corner at corner and technically can play center field. He played some center field in the minors. Um, I think from a pitching standpoint, it's a tough question because what do you do um, about a girl named Maria? No, what do you do with uh, Wade Miley? He has been ineffective for a month and a half now and not just kind of ineffective, ridiculously ineffective Um, managed to give up two runs in. um, Oh, not even an inning. No, sorry. 2.2 innings gave up um, two earned runs, three, three runs total um, for a whopping nearly 70 RA in the postseason so far. I, I don't see him getting better, but I also think Hinch has certain loyalties to guys. If it were me, And I think this part's going to happen. Arquiti starts that game four. Um, I I think he he had an incredible second half of the season, had a very good showing against uh, the Rays, managed um, in his first playoff situation to give up no runs in uh, 1.2 innings. Um, So I think he's solid and solid enough to get a start. Um, Then it comes down to what other pitcher do you add, and do you add two pitchers because – you're not carrying Wade Miley anymore. Um, I got to think Abreu um, is on the list of people they could potentially bring up because I think he's somebody, A, the Yankees have never seen before, um, and he throws just some nasty, nasty stuff. Uh, the only other real option would be Peacock, and maybe he's it's Peacock instead of Miley. And Peacock has been throwing simulated games and bullpen sessions uh, during this series where he was left off the roster. And he was left off the roster basically because Uh, for the division series, basically because he hadn't had much ability to pitch in real games uh, from coming off the injured reserve list. So, um, you know, depending on what you do with Miley, I could see Abreu being added, and I could see Peacock being added. But it's the three of them that are going to make up those last two bullpen spots.
0: Okay. Yeah, it was interesting, the whole Tucker-Straw thing, because for me, I almost wonder if – you go back to the logic of straw speed is such a weapon, you know, he so, can, you know, so I don't, I don't know.
3: Well, uh, put it a different way. If Marisnyk hadn't been hurt in 2017, um, would we have brought up, Oh God, I've lost his name now. So Fisher. I gonna make a really point. The point. starting would center fielder his,
0: for he, the Toronto Blue Jays, man. Come on now.
3: Yeah. Um, he's on his way to Conseco like records with letting balls hit him in the face. Um, <laughs> the fact that we got anything for that guy uh anyway but if Marisnyk hadn't been hurt in 2017 Fisher would have never been called up so I think Marisnyk replaces that outfield speed um and and the need for a pinch hitter and a late ending type game like you would have seen in the game five against the uh Dodgers so many years ago um But, yeah, you can make an argument for Straw, too, because the other thing Straw brings, as we've talked about, is the ability to play the middle infield, which if Correa gets hurt, you can fix it for the next game. But during that game, you're now juggling a lot of guys all of a sudden. Um, Diaz moves to third. Guriel probably stays at first, but Bregman's at short. And for all of the ills that um, Correa's bat has brought so far this postseason, his defense... Uh, has saved uh, a few runs uh, and probably one of those unsung things um, probably helped them advance. Certainly yesterday, um, early in the game, um, made some spectacular plays that uh, to back up Cole.
0: Yeah, I think even just just the tone set because of you know that first inning of Cole's second start. I'm not going to say I could detect nerves, but there definitely was. I think a little bit of a vibe, and I feel like Correa is playing the hole. Heck, he said in, in the interview The Correa is playing the hole, really set the tone for that game.
3: Yeah, and I think that's – Bregman is a certainly capable and probably an all-star double shortstop, but defensively, um, Correa is on another level. Um, he's got the cannon attached to his right shoulder uh, and just uh, taller, uh, a little bit faster, a little bit quicker with reflexes. Um, and, and that's – He's a starting shortstop. You just hope that he can – you hope eventually for his career and not just the rest of the season that the cloud of is he going to be injured tomorrow eventually passes because um, right now it's hanging pretty heavy.
0: Yeah, I mean, I almost wonder if we should uh, – if the Astros are up big on Thursday, get him out of the game and get him on a plane by himself or something, borrow Jim's, uh, Jim's private jet.
3: Again, uh, you could do a Madden Cruiser situation and just drive. It's not that far to New York.
0: Just truck them on up there. Um, so let's right. talk a little bit about matchups then. So, you know, where do you think the Astros have the advantage over the Yankees?
3: Um, I I think – Offensively, um, the Yankees are probably, are, you know, from stats-wise and uh, from counting-wise, counting, counting wise, they're certainly a better home-run-ending team. Um, the Astros are better offensively. Um, so while the Yankees are going to hit a lot of home runs, they're going to strike out a lot. The Astros are still the same team, even with their struggles with the Rays, um, that led the leagues in the fewest strikeouts and most walks. Um, that That's a killer combination, And one of the reasons I think we struggled with the Rays was that we weren't getting those walks. And so you don't have guys on base, so when you do actually get a base hit, there's no traffic around it. Um, I don't think they're going to have that issue with the Yankees uh, because I think the other advantage we have is in starting pitching. Um, Our starters are, are better than their starters. Their starters have all struggled with health. I know Severino's back, but I don't think he's gone more than like three, four innings unless I missed something in the division series against the twins. Um, their, their, their starters are shaky. Um, they can be good. They can be bad, but they're kind of compared to the Astros starters. They're a little bit, um, a little bit lacking. I think where the Yankees have an advantage is they probably have a better bullpen overall. Um, I still like our back three better than their back three, but um, their closers an all-star um, has been for years. Uh, and they've got a number of weapons in their bullpen. I think this is another one of those series, and I don't know that I can continue to eat um, too many more Frito pies to make this happen, (laughs) but if it's this series is going to be six or seven games in my estimation, and it's going to come down to the idea that the Astros have home field advantage again. Uh, I see them winning the series, but I see them winning the series in Houston.
0: So you have the Astros beating the Yankees. Um, did you want to say whether it will be six or seven, or you're just gonna be able to be right, right away?
3: Right now, no. Right, yeah, I'm hedging my bets. <laughs> uh, the reach of your audience is so great. I, want, I don't want to get called out. Uh, no, I, right now I'm at six um, because I think Verlander is going to have an outstanding um, two starts. I think Cole's going to have a dominating start, and I think we're going to piece it together. Um, I think Greenkey's going to rebound. Uh, so the one you worry about is obviously their key uh on the road in Yankee stadium. That's a hostile place to play. Um, it's going to be colder. Um, might be snowing. I haven't watched the weather lately, <laughs> but we're in that weird. Um, oh, the whole earth, except for Texas is under um, winter winter storm advisories um, part of the year. So uh, yeah, that's, I, I see Verlander picking up um, probably a, another um, MVP for the ALCS because I think his two starts, and his history against the Yankees are going to be proved prove to be too much for him.
0: Okay, let's go. Uh, um, then let's go. To, let's go to the National League. Um, we have just real quick your thoughts on a, a matchup that no one picked. I mean, I have the Cardinals in the World Series, but most of that was because wouldn't it be fun if me and some of my buddies could be on the opposite sides of a World Series? That was about as far as my thought went into it, and I certainly did not pick the Nationals playing them. Uh, What are your thoughts on, real quick on that, and who do you think walks out?
3: Well, I take some umbrage because I actually did pick both the Cardinals and the Nats. I went back and listened to our last episode. Um, The Nats were not based on anything other than I hate the Dodgers and wanted them to lose. So that was a little bit of wishful thinking, but hey, thanks, Washington. (laughs) Uh, I, I think overall, Washington's starting pitching is really, really good, but the Cardinals are too much of a complete team. Um, both those teams are flawed. I think anybody coming out of the National League has had some issues this year. But I think of the two, the Cardinals are the more complete team, and in general, in a five-game series, the more complete team is going to win.
0: Okay, two more, uh, two more games. I want you to pick. We're we're both Texans. Okay, A and M Alabama on Saturday. Who you got?
3: Al- Alabama by twenty-eight.
0: Texas OU. Who you got?
3: Um, until Texas. Beats OU, let me put it that way, uh, since I did win one of the games last year. Oh, uh, don't remind me how Texas stupid is, the
0: Big 12 is, okay?
3: <laughs> one true champion. Um, <laughs> until uh, Texas can slow down a Heisman Trophy transfer quarterback from Oklahoma, I'm going to pick up. Oklahoma, but I think it's a pretty close game. Um, I've got
0: Oklahoma by three. Uh, I do, too. All right, he is Andy Tom Chesson. We will be back after the ALCS to talk a little bit of World Series, and hopefully our boys in blue and orange will be there.
3: I'm hoping for a lot of blue and red um, in the next round. <laughs>
0: And we're going to continue on our go, go Astros segment with Larry, the GM, you should follow him on Twitter. Cause as he says in his bio, he's not a GM, but he thinks like one. I like having him on the show because the numbers get, I'm like Rocky Balboa with math, Larry. It just, the numbers get, I want a big eraser. Um, Larry, the Astros are obviously playing the 1927 Yankees. Please explain to me how their lineup is going to slaughter our pitching.
2: Yeah, you would think so. If you, uh, we're watching uh any of the mlb shows or or uh, following twitter but you know let's play a game let's go through the lineup one by one and let's compare uh let's compare apples to apples let's compare the ops we we'll just keep we'll just say focus on one number trying to make it easy for folks to follow
0: and real quick, and, and I know I, I I know what it is, but I know like we have a percentage of audience that still think it's it's batting average. Can you explain really quick what OPS is and why OPS is is what the stat the go to stat today as of as opposed to the old school batting average thing?
2: Right. So OPS is a combination of the on base percentage and the slugging percentage. So on base is obviously the number of walks plus the number of hits divided by the total plate appearances. Okay. So. That's your on-base percentage. The the slugging percentage gives you uh, well a single is one, a double is two, a triple is three, and a home run is four. You add up all those total bases uh, a player hits and divide by by the at bats. That's the slugging percentage. And the reason it's used is that's the best combination of uh, the number times your uh, the the combination of being on base and the the power power number together so it's in a single statistic it's the easiest way to kind of combine the the uh, ability to get on and the, the power one brings
0: okay so we're gonna go line by line both lineups i'm gonna play jeff luno you're gonna play mr cashman that's who it is right cashman is that yeah. the, and and you're gonna explain to me why the astros have no chance and go <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay that's gonna be hard all right let's go dj Lemayhu. i got dj Lemayhu in my starting lineup and he's my my on my leadoff hitter and he's got a great ops of 893 who you got
0: i've got um george springer what's
2: his do, do you know what his is i don't uh well i guess i'm looking it up it's 974 which is bigger? Uh I guess Springer. So you got me on that one. All right, I'm going to get you on this one though. <laughs> you got <sure>. me. <laughs> All right, Aaron Judge, 921. What do you got?
0: Uh, I guess in the modern, in the current lineup, we're going to go with Brantley. All right, 875. So I got you on that one. So we're tied at one for those of you following at home.
2: I got I got Brent Gardner, and he's got a great OPS of 829. Who do you got?
0: I've got. The mighty might himself, Jose Altuve. Oh, he's at nine hundred three. All
2: right, well, you got, are you got me on that one. I do. All right. Well, well, I'm surely I'm going to get this one. I got N1 Canarsie, Car- n eight fifty six. You can't beat that.
0: No, um, I don't think I can. I I don't know that. Who, I I don't know the name of the four hill hitter for the Astros. I just know we we've been referring to him as MVP lately.
2: Oh, that's a, Oh. That's Alex Brigman. He's got a 1015. Oh, well that. Okay. <laughs> you got you got me on that one. So, so it's
0: 3 w- to 1 w- Astros so far, right? If I'm adding Oh. This this isn't turning out, bro. You All right. Well, I got I got
2: Jean Carlos Stanton. All right, that's that's going to be a win for me, right? 8, 8 94
0: I've got one of two Cuban missiles, Mr. Jordan Alvarez. Oh.
2: He's one oh six
0: seven. <laughs> well, um, well, you certainly though you have the bottom half of the lineup, and it'll come out. You know, right now I'm only up four one. Certainly, you're going to sweep the rest.
2: Yeah, I'm sure. I, I got I got Torres coming up, and and Torres. Um, He's seventy one. Well, who you
0: got? Well, I've got this other Cuban guy. He's in his th- mid thirties, and everybody said he was washed up in June. Uh, Yuli Yuliski Guriel. So he's washed up and was trade bait by Astros Twitter.
2: Uh, he's eight eighty four.
0: Oh, okay, all right. I
2: like well, that. Well, okay. Well, let's let's be fair. Let's call that one. That's really close. Let's call that one even.
0: Okay. All right. So we're at so, four one and one. Okay.
2: All right. Well, I got Gary Sanchez, and he's at eight forty-one.
0: Okay. I we have Carlos Correa. Oh, uh, he's
2: nine twenty-six. All right. Okay. I, I guess you, I get you got another one.
0: We'll call that a push, especially since Carlos had not as many plate appearances. So we'll call that. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah,
2: that's we'll that, call that a push. Uh, Yeah, I don't think Correa's actually been performing that. All right. Let's go, Didi, Didi Gregorius. Uh, he's he's great, right? Oh. Well, he's 718 this year.
0: And we're at our so you, seven hole. I mean, our eight hole. And that's usually going to be most likely Josh Reddick, if not Kyle Tucker.
2: Well, that's 728. Oh. That, well, OK, that's really close too. we could Maybe we can call that a push. OK, so we got four one three.
0: OK, four one three.
2: And and then I I got Ruchella and he's been great. I, I don't know where he came from, but yeah, he's he's been great this year. Eight eighty nine.
0: Okay, we've got a combination of people, so we're gonna call them Maldrinos. Uh We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do like a celebrity couple name, and it's Maldonado and Chirinos.
2: All right, well, is the seven ninety, so we got you on that one. Okay, so. Well, that didn't come out like, like you would expect, though. That's four Astros, two Yankees, three pushes. And we were kind of generous with the push on Correa because if Correa is really Correa, it's 5-2-2.
0: Right. Uh, yeah. And one might argue those pushes, the extra games and then it may park, might push them the other way. So let's talk about it, though, Larry, like, you know, taking it, taking it all aside, where are some areas that you do think the Yankees might have an advantage?
2: So, I mean, that, I'm glad we that's what I. that's what I would invest. I would invite all Astros fans to just do that with their favorite Yankee fans, because I don't think the Yankees actually know how good the Astros are. And And James and I both knew that's the way it would come out here's the truth about the Yankees. They have been an incredibly clutch team when they've batted the ball and they have, they they're one of the issues that the Astros have with their lineup is they they've not been all that great with runners scoring and scoring, but to be more technically correct, they haven't been at, at typically as much better as teams are when they're runners and scoring base Normally a batting average and on-base percentage a slugging percentages go up, you know, a significant amount when when there's runners in scoring position. That really hasn't been true for the Astros this year. That has been tremendously true for the Yankees. They're they're almost like like the twenty seven Yankees when there's runners in scoring position. They 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 are one of the best teams ever when runners are in scoring position. So they, they have been incredibly efficient about driving runs in. So for the for the Astros, it'll be a lot of it will be about keeping betters off the bases. Now, to be honest with you, I think a lot of that is more luck than it is. It, I don't know that there's a special skill necessarily to being able to get runs scored when there's runners in scoring division. One may say it's that clutch gene. I don't. I don't necessarily believe in a lot of that. So you know, to to, to Astros fans, it's the Give you guys a little confidence. The that, Astros have been doing a little bit better about that in the in September. Uh, maybe not so much in the playoffs, but that the, that runners and scoring position is a key, one of the key things to watch how it plays out in this series. But the Yankees have been really, really good at it.
0: One of the things too is you know from the Astros' perspective on that. It isn't like the Astros are striking out necessarily with runners in scoring position. They're they're still hitting the ball hard. They're just hitting it at people. I mean, they're getting right. baseball and like to your point, they're getting baseball a lot in that situation.
2: Right, and a lot of it, is, yeah. The, there's some tremendously low bappets. Uh, I mean, I wrote about that, and, and it's like, okay, why is Bravens' bappet so low with runners in scoring? But it's not going to stay that way. So um, this just just know that if the Astros start really hitting with runners in scoring position, the, the the Major League Baseball is not prepared for the kind of run produ- production that could come from the Astros lineup. We've seen that a few times when, when they have a really great day. Uh, those days look like the days where they were scoring 20 runs. So that, that's just, you know, <laughs> that's what it looks like when the Astros lineup is in full gear and hitting the ball with runners in scoring position.
0: A lot of Astros Twitter and a lot of the national media have said that because of how Cole pitched that it's basically now Garrett Cole um, could be facing an O two hole by the time he takes the ball in Game three. Um, thoughts on that? Thoughts on all of a sudden the idea that Verlander and Grinke can't pitch? Well,
2: I, I, it, number one, it's silly. Number two, I don't know who the. I mean, I'm not going to diss the the Yankees' starting pitching, okay? It, but but they haven't really. Uh, the the the, the Astros have an advantage in starting pitching, and I think you'll talk more about that um, maybe over over the time. But the 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 Yankees, I I why 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 do you think that that the Yankees have an advantage over or Verlander and and Grinke? I I don't necessarily think so. So it, it'll it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, but Verlander still, uh, either the Cy Young award winner or, the, or, or the, the one that comes in second to his teammate. So I don't know why people would, would think that Verlander just because he struggled on three days rest, which is not what they'll be doing in this series is something that, that they could, they should have an abundance of confidence about.
0: Okay. So I'm guessing you have the Astros, obviously how many games?
2: Well, so I have said, and I believe this is going to be an epic, historical ALCS. This is something that baseball historians may refer to 20 years from now. I believe it's going seven games. And James, just for fun, who do you think starts game seven for the Astros in the
0: ALCS, if we get that far? Oh, I think it's Cole. I don't think that AJ is going to dance around with short rest in a seven-game series. So I think it'll be Garrett Cole.
2: Right. So we just saw how well Gary he's pretty, he's pretty good he in elimina-
0: and, and he's pretty good in uh brink of elimination games. Correct. So I think I think, you know,
2: there's the, there's the ace in the hole. And and for those that are worried about Grinky and, and, you know, who are, who are the other other starters, maybe the game four starter. Just know that the, the Yankees have to beat the two Sam Young Award candidates at least once to even be in the series. If our if our Cy Young award winners just pitch, we win four games, we win. That, that's 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 the way I look at this series. Let, let's just win the games that Jv and and Gary Cole win, and and I'll be happy.
0: Okay, and um, let's so go ahead real quick. Oh, NLCS, who do you have winning that?
2: Uh, well, I I think I've told you before. I have I have battle scars from my youth with the with St. Louis Cardinals. So I will never, I will never pick the St. Louis Cardinals. So I'm gonna <laughs> pick the Washington Nationals. And I actually think when one of the things that, that, that's gonna come from this year the playoffs, uh, the pendulum's gonna swing back to like you know maybe good playoff teams need starting pitching because I think we're gonna see a, a World Series of the the two best teams with, of starting pitching in the postseason, the Washington Nationals and Houston Astros. And so I think uh, the, like, you know, wait, man, you need to have at least three good pitchers to to, to do well in the postseason is going to be the mantra from this year.
0: I agree. I think it's going to be uh, I think, again, I think Astros in six or seven. And I think uh, it's going to be a good playoffs. Uh, he is Larry, the GM. You can follow him on Twitter. We will have your link. And he definitely is a must follow because you definitely dive into way more of the the statistical part of the game than than most people I know. And you do it well. So thanks for being on the show. Thank you, sir. And now the big league chew and I on the majors. And we are back here with the big league chew with, you know, Scott was supposed to come on and talk dispassionately about the national league championship series. I don't know that you can talk dispassionately about the national league championship series. Scott McIntyre, have you slept? How are you doing?
4: Um, I experienced one of the strangest things uh, in, in watching Game Five of the Braves and the Cardinals. I have never seen a first inning defensive replacement <laughs> until that that game. Uh, it's serious. Matt Carpenter walks, gets an RBI. You're up ten nothing, and Mike Schultz says, "You know what?" Karp's got a pretty weak arm at third. Let's move Edmund over to third. Let's move Dexter to right. Let's put Bader in center. When you're up 10-0 in the first, I guess you suddenly have to start thinking defensively, and the prevent defense worked, right?
0: It really did. Wow. No, yeah. Um, and, and you know, I, I don't know how many of our staff picked uh, the Cardinals in the World Series. I know that I did and feel did. Su- super-duper smart about it, obviously – Uh, A lot of road to hoe, but, you know, taking a look at at the NLCS, which is not a a matchup, I think anybody truly predicted. um, I think I had Cardinals, Dodgers, like I think a lot of people did. Um, Actually, quite a few of us did. Timothy and Gary Warren did. Um, But talk to me a little bit about that.
1: Did
0: I have the Nationals in the the series? Uh, You did. You had Nationals, Yankees. Okay,
4: so that's – yeah, so – the Nationals have the best player in the national in the in, on our side of the, the league this year, and Anthony Rendon. He hits the ball really hard. He hits it all over the place. Um, the Nats also have Scherzer and Strasburg. Now, I can argue that Scherzer's velocity is a little bit down, and he is suspect at times. But Scherzer also is still Max Scherzer. And, and he's a force to be reckoned with. The the Nats are a really good team. And you pointed out something uh, a couple of months ago that you were watching a series. You said the Dodgers can be had. There, there's weaknesses here, and they can be had. And it got shown last night. Um, yeah, you know, I, I don't know what the um, what the most painful loss was. If you're a Braves fan, and you, you've got a, a day off, and then here here comes the game, and you're really excited, and you really just get kicked in the crotch in the first inning and, and you're all the wind out of yourselves. That's painful to be a Dodgers fan is painful in the opposite spectrum where you're coasting three, nothing and Walker Bueller looks incredible. Um, then you're down three, one. Okay. No big deal. Kershaw strikes out the last batter on two pitches, but then his next two pitches wind up deposited over 400 feet away. And suddenly you're in a tie game fighting for your life. I mean, and, and ultimately, you know, losing 10. um, uh, just horrible to to be a fan of either one of those teams in that way. It's just really, really painful losses. Uh, I think what you ultimately see, though, with the Cardinals, the bullpen is strong. um, Most of the time, um, you know, Carlos Martinez could be suspect in that in in that series with the Braves. But I think that's overcome. Um, The bullpen is strong. The defense is solid. The hitting can come in bunches, you know, it it can also not, but it seems to with the Nats, they have a solid offense. Losing Bryce Harper didn't set them back one iota.
0: No, it didn't.
4: Um, All all losing Bryce Harper
0: did was get the manager of the Phillies fired, but that's a whole other conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
4: Yeah, I I think the the Nats have a mix of of, of a lot of good youth. Soto is incredible. They've got pop in the bat, uh, almost at every spot in the lineup. Strangely, I think one of the things that, that helped the Cardinals in the regular season against the Nats that may also help them in the playoffs is the fact that our back, backup catcher is Matt Weeders, who spent a lot of time with the Nats. He knows that pitching staff. He knows that team. Uh, that's a big benefit. And, and I also think that that each team has an amazing uh, defensive catcher between Kurt Suzuki and, and, and Yadier Molina, um, who – they just need to go ahead and build him a statue out in front of Bush state team. Just go ahead and put it up there. <laughs> no, they really should. Yeah. Uh, but it, it should most, be a very interesting season
0: games played, right? Or, yeah.
4: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Most, most, uh, you know, postseason games played. Um, and that's without making the playoffs the last three years. So I, 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 think, I think it should be a very interesting series offensively. It obviously favors the Nats defensively kind of a push, um, and I say that because um, Matt Carpenter is going to play some at third and Marcelo Zuna has a very weak arm in left. Um, and left. And then it comes down to the bullpen. And without a doubt, I, I think the Cardinals on paper have the better bullpen than the Nats. That's been the big question mark. Uh, but we'll see, we'll see who can get it done. It should be a very interesting NLCS. Yes. I, th-
0: I think the, the, the advantage initially in the series obviously goes to the Cardinals. A, a couple of things. One, Obviously, the Cardinals won in a relaxing thirteen to one romp. Uh, the Nationals used everybody to win and, and had to win an extra innings with a man size home run. There's no other way to describe that. Um, yeah, agreed. You know, and and I and I, but I also, but I think the fact that they've also been playing a little bit longer since the wild card eventually is going to wear them out. Um, But I wanted to talk a little bit about two things about these playoffs that I read. Um, Well, first of all, why don't you give me your pick? Because I definitely have the Cardinals coming out of the NLCS.
4: Uh, Well, my heart says Cardinals, but at the beginning of the year, I said the Nats. Um, I'm I'm not going to go off of my initial pick because then I'd I'd be that guy and I don't want to be that guy. But I have great difficulty picking the Nationals, even though I'm doing it, uh, because – uh, just simply because I think the Cardinals are the better team right now, but because I made the the, the pick in early in March, April, or late March, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm gonna stick with it. Um, but it's not where my heart is. It's right. not where where my belief is. Uh, I, I think your point is very well taken about that extra wild card game. The Nats have fewer available arms than the Cardinals do, and the Nats um, are reliant upon those arms, and those arms are getting tired.
0: So there's two things about these playoffs I want to discuss, and it's I think it's interesting. I think baseball might have a playoff problem, and um, one I, I think will be easier to digest before we go into the second one. So the first one is the thing that we've been hearing nonstop is that the five the five game series is weird. Everybody says that, right? Five game series is weird. Throw anything out, five game series, and that it's not reflective. Of the nature of baseball. Baseball is played out of 162 games because that is the best way to decide who really is the best team. And then in a seven game series, you're more reflective of 162. Now, baseball has often changed with this format. You might remember that. Well, not remember. You're old, but not that old. But, you know, <laughs> it, it, it been in the early days, it was a nine game World Series. Right. Way back. My thought is, and, and I wanted to, to kind of get your take on it. I think the best kept secret is that the, is that major league baseball wants to be at 32. They want to be back to four division winners and maybe even eliminate the wild card. I think if that's the case, they ought to consider going back to a seven game division series, seven game ALCS or NLCS, and then a seven game world series. Your thoughts.
4: Um, so two things, if they, if, if they go to four divisions and there's not a wild card, then having two seven game series makes a lot of sense to me. Um, Especially when I factor in that relievers are going to have to face a minimum of three people and that can really change the outcome of a game. Um, And and you would hate for one bad outing by one or two guys in your pen on a given night to really shift a a series that badly. Although I guess that's why they, 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 they play the game, but, but still um, seven games in that, in that format makes sense in the current Sense, I think five games does make sense to me. You can figure out who the who the best team is in in five. Um, even even though you know, everybody knows coming into it, you're playing five at the most. So that's what you have to play for. Um, what what really doesn't make sense to me currently is the one game wild card. Uh, that is what just goes against it to me. Uh, that's I find that ridiculous. If it was a best of three. I would like it like it better, but I, I really despise the one-game wild card. It's it's all in or all out, and if you know the day or two before you had to use your best pitcher just to get into the postseason, well, he's not available. Um, so you know that feels kind of strange to me.
0: Yeah, it, I guess it just seems to me like I feel the same way about the one-game wild card as I do the five-game division series. It's a see, it's a sport where we spend half the time going small sample sizes don't matter, and then we rely purely on a small sample size. And I think. Um, You know, obviously you have teams that didn't structure their pitching staff right for whatever reason and can get away with throwing a bullpen, but a bullpen, uh, but that like sort of opener strategy doesn't sustain itself over a seven game series. And so I I feel like it's almost like we change the entire nature of the sport for either these one game or five game playoffs and then go back to the original intent of the sport when we lengthen them out to seven and seven.
4: You, you know, you're, you're right. I'm going to change what I said just a little bit. The five-game series, I, I, I guess my uh, – the more I think about this, it is a sticking – it's not a sticking point, but I, I, I do think it's, it's, a, it's a wackadoo in the mix of everything else. If I look at the NHL playoffs, if I look at the NBA playoffs, if I look at uh, major, um, NFL playoffs, each round has the same format, right? For the NHL, it's best of seven, start to finish. NBA, best of seven, start to finish. NFL, one game uh major league baseball well we're going to change it up a little bit <laughs> right but that that does feel uh that that does feel where i guess i was so focused on my despising of the wild card i didn't think so much about the five game but yeah that doesn't make a lot of sense i mean, I mean i'm glad for it right now or else the cardinals have to go back and play a really pissed off Braves team <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but right um, But but yeah, no, it doesn't. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I think it should be seven across the board.
0: Yeah. And I I guess. Yeah. So now the other thing, I don't know how I don't know if you've even seen these stories. And so I'll lay it out for you. But, you know, we are baseball more than any other sport is um, able to be, I think, sort of broken down and figured out through science. And they have figured out that balls that should that were home runs in the regular season. Same launch angle, same bat speed, have not been flying the way they used to fly. They were flying, I mean, like three days ago or whatever, a week ago, whatever it was. And that some people at Baseball Prospectus have have done a story and done some research to show that there is increased drag. And now the assumption that they've changed the ball again. And you might go back to remembering that Justin Verlander in the 17 playoffs said that the ball felt different yeah why does major league baseball like it's almost as if 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 we go off the the and I have no reason to doubt the numbers right i I will say this that that there were balls that I saw hit in some of the division series games that I felt like in crowds felt like and even hitters felt like were home runs that were at the foot of the warning track and and usually a usually a hitter at this point knows what it feels like um so it isn't just hope, wishful thinking i think so why? Why would Major League Baseball do that, in your opinion? If we buy the premise that that is what they've done, that they wanted home runs in the regular season, and now they've changed the game again for the playoffs. If we buy the premise,
4: if, if I buy the premise, which first of all I don't trust crowds, but I do trust players. To your point, uh, Ronald Acuna, uh, Acuna, I, I can think of you know the, in, in the first game hitting the ball and was sure it was out and started his jog and. Oh, that's actually a great point. Up.
0: I didn't even think about that example in the, but now that the science has come out.
4: I mean, he's been guilty of that before. So I hate to say that, but I've also, sure. you know, I've seen some little flip of the bat uh, opposite field home runs during the regular season that, that I seriously was like, you gotta be kidding me. And now flick of the bat, like, well, I guess that's out. And it is caught at the warning track. So I, I, if I buy the premise, that something has changed. The only thing I can think of is that now in the postseason? there are so many eyes on the game and so many more people watching the same game at the same time that if things look really odd, then major league baseball would have a problem. So maybe they, they switch something up or maybe they used a different batch of baseballs. Um, and, and that were, that are supposed to be more juiced and aren't, um, you could be, I definitely think there's a possibility that, you know, they just screwed up, um, because just because you're in charge of a, of, of a ton of, of an enterprise doesn't mean you can't screw up I so but i I think the only thing that would make sense to me is that there's so many eyes on the game that they kind of gotta back it off a little bit does that does that make sense or, or what do you yeah think it does also?
0: I just I mean I think that again I think and this goes back to some of the things that I believe about about baseball and Um, I always find it funny and I I think you feel the same way when we hear people that are older than us complain about changing the game when the game is – more than any other game is evolved um, from how it was played at the beginning. I don't see the logic of having – like if you want to change the ball from year to year, I think that's fine. I think that if you want to – and look, as an Astros fan, dude, in 17, I was definitely the beneficiary of a, of a juice ball inter, introduced in the playoffs that went farther. Marwin Gonzalez's home run to tie the Dodgers in game two of the World Series would not have been out in the regular season. It just wouldn't have. Um, yeah. You know, obviously, yeah. like when you see Springer hit one of the train tracks, you could have thrown a bowling ball and that was going out. So it's not that. But I just don't. I, I don't like the idea of changing the nature of the game, if that's what they've done. And and to go the, to go anti offense seems to go backwards anyway, right? Or maybe they're so worried about time in the playoffs. I don't know.
4: I, I think the I think they've got their head jammed so far up their backside in the Major League Baseball offices it's not even funny, and they're not looking at the correct uh, criteria to be. I mean, I, I've said this before. I'll say it a million times. The data in the past shows it. When the average age of the baseball fan drops and when viewership goes up, the one statistic that that routinely goes up as well are stolen bases. It's not strikeouts. It's not home runs. People don't tune in to watch strikeouts and home runs. They like seeing them. That's cool, but that you can keep your phone in your face and you hear the crack of a bat and everybody starts screaming. And you look up. Stolen bases keep you involved in the. It's a hit and run. It's it's things that are happening. And you know what, Jim? We talk about the Cardinals winning the game. They didn't do it with a long ball. They really no, didn't. They beat. They started they, that yeah. inning off. They started that inning off with a runner on first base and a sack bunt to move him over, and then contact, contact, <laughs> and, contact, and a walk. Yeah, they really beat him to death.
0: It was, and, and I and find that more and make exciting. And mistakes in the field. Yeah, yep.
4: yeah, agreed, completely agreed. So yeah. I, I, yeah, go ahead. I'm, no, it's just, <laughs> it's no,
0: it's, it's just, it's, <laughs> it's just frustrating. It just seems, it seems, and, and I guess the other thing too. Um, and I go back to Justin Verlander at the All Star break. You know, if that's what you want to do, Major League Baseball, be be honest about it. Like be upfront about it that we have – like I just refuse to believe that a billion-dollar business doesn't know that the $40 million or $400 million business that they own can do things drastically different without them knowing. And we've seen like – I think it was Pedro Martinez say – because he was like signing a ball and he said the way I usually sign the ball, I can fit between the seams and now it can't. You know, like wow. yeah. there's little things like that and, and apparently – um, you know, there's. I, I don't. I just. I guess I just don't get why. And if you're not going to do it, just be upfront about it. And if you want to change it, like I do, think it's going to go back to a more of a base hit, move runners over, um, hit line drives type of a game. Anyway, I think that is the direction it's going. Because I think you're right. I think zero outcomes bore people. Um. Or when well, not zero, what do they call it when it a true outcomes? Uh, strikeouts, right. walks, or home runs bore people, right? Yep. I think yep. nobody wants to watch it.
4: Mm. Yeah, sorry, I was taking a drink. Um, yeah, you're 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 right. That is the stuff that bores people. What activity in the field and activity on the base paths is is, is what people are um is what people are stay engaged with. Um, you know, errors in the field. You know, when 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 the Bo lost to the Mets. Nobody thinks about the fact that that was game six in 85 or whatever it was, um, the, that it was just game six and that they played a game the next night that the Mets won. What people remember is, oh, Butner, the ball going through his legs. They don't remember the home runs that were hit earlier in the game or the next night or whatever, but it's not thought about. What's thought about, um, you, you know, and even even when, when you and I were at the Cardinals Museum together, what are they showing in these little booths? They're showing Lou Brock stealing second base. They're showing you know the hit and runs that were put on by the whitey herzog teams of the 1980s Uh, this is this is what engages people and the teams that are alive right now in the playoffs the one thing they have in common except for the cardinals but the one thing they have in common are contact rates it's the contact rates um, and, and putting the ball in play that's what keeps teams alive and ultimately these guys are You're going to have guys that want to win championships and they realize I need to put the ball in play like a Yadier Molina, uh, who's a postseason hero for that reason. And you're going to have guys that go, "Eh, I'm okay hitting 210 as long as I hit 40 dogs. And those guys are going to, you know, they're going to be able to start playing golf early in October (laughs) where the rest of them are still playing baseball.
0: No, you're absolutely right. Now, before we get out of here, I know we're going to talk to you again to do our World Series preview. Uh, We've been following what's been happening with the River City Rascals and you have some news for baseball in Missouri. Yeah, I guess it
4: was a week or two ago that um the City of O'Fallon announced that they that they have signed a deal with the Prospect League and the Prospect League will be um they will be moving the Hannibal Hoots, uh, which has had struggles in getting people in, in, in the ballpark and whatnot, they'll be moving them to Car Shield Field. So what that means, uh, in the Prospect League is it's it's not a ninety eight game schedule like the The Frontier League and the independent, it's college players coming in for a 60-game season, so there'll be 30 home games um, at at CarShield Field. But it's a $75,000 savings that you don't have to pay player salaries. Obviously, these these guys can't be paid because they're amateurs. They're college players that are you know in for a season or two. So.
0: So talk a bit about that, because, uh, you know, we've done some some uh, of the collegiate woodbat stuff, but generally speaking, they don't play in parks. I mean, I mean, they play in parks, like generally speaking. Uh, So this will be a this seems like this will be a really big deal for at least those players getting to play in an actual stadium.
4: Yeah. And well, in the prospect league, you know, they they've really moved to that. The normal corn belters were members of the Frontier League. And then last season they moved over to the prospect league and they play in the they play in the corn crib. (laughs) And <laughs> in, uh, in, in Normal, Illinois, which I've actually driven by, and, and it's a pretty, pretty neat looking little stadium. Um, so I, I know, you know, if you're talking about Cape Cod League and some of these more elite summer baseball leagues for the collegiate players, they do play just on fields scattered all around. Some of these are are actually playing in um, in stadiums. A lot of them are playing in old stadiums, right? I think that was the case in Hannibal. Uh, They're playing in older stadiums that are, that are hard to maintain. Uh, The level of baseball really differs on whether you're in the Northwoods league or the Cape Cod league or the California league or or prospect league or down in Texas or wherever you're at. Uh, These players are typically uh, from around the region. So I would, you know, expect to see, I would expect to see a team from O'Fallon, like, you know, maybe a guy from Missouri or Missouri, Kansas city or Lindenwood university in, in St. Louis, you know, people local to the region that would come and and, and play for the team during the summer. But, you know, it's, it's still competitive baseball, as long as everybody can play at the same level, it it should be pretty much fun. And it's a really cool field. So I'm glad they've glad they've got a tenant, you know?
0: Yeah, we are too. Um, And again, thanks so much for being on and we will, um, you know, talk to you right before the world series kicks off. I don't know about you. I can't believe, you know, it's weird because I'm already starting to prep for the show for the 2020 season. We had the Corpus Christi hooks on this week, talking about, next year. And so uh, I've got a foot and two baseball seasons and, and I'm already feeling <laughs> sad.
4: Yeah, I'm, um, I'm feeling sad because I've got tickets to the Arkansas Kentucky game in Lexington this weekend. So I will not be in St. Louis for games one and two. Uh, but I've, I've still got part of one kidney that I haven't sold uh, from the blues uh, <laughs> Stanley cup run last year. So I may try to sell part of that and get to game, um, game five or or whatever we play next in, in in St. Louis with the with the Nationals, um, as long as there's not a sweep. A sweep would be okay as long as it goes in the right direction.
0: And how about one college football pick? Who do you got this weekend? Texas or OU? By the way, I, I'm so obsessed with the Astros baseball right now. I can't. I keep forgetting that's happening. The biggest yeah, rivalry I, in college football. I keep forgetting.
4: Oh yeah, it, it's it's Texas State Fair weekend. Wow, uh, that kind of snuck up. Um, oh my gosh, that's it's really hard for me to pick against Jalen Hurts, um, and it's really hard for me as an Arcan- growing up an Arkansas fan in the Southwest Conference to to <laughs> want anything positive to happen to the Longhorns, even though you know I, I don't hate them the same anymore, um, which my dad would probably be mad at. <laughs> right. I'm going to go triple overtime to Oklahoma, sadly, because I I, I think they're just clicking better right now. When these two teams play again for the Big 12 championship, I think Texas will win. I think Texas will have matured just a little bit farther. Herman's almost got it there. Almost got it there. Um, And I simply think that Jalen Hurts is the X factor in this one.
0: Well, I'll end this by saying I think it's OU by three. All right, brother, we'll talk to you um, in about 10 days. And so we're going to continue our Big League Two segment, and we're bringing back Alex Kanata. Those of you who listen to the show might remember Alex from way back at the beginning of the season. He came on to talk about uh, the playoff run the St. Michael's Catholic Academy Crusaders were on. He is our resident Yankees expert, and it looks like the series that you and I predicted in March is happening.
5: Yes. Yes, it is.
0: Unlike the series in the National League, in which no one, no no one, one will predicted that. Yeah. yeah. Um, So let's talk about the Yankees. It it is fun because it is the series, I think, again, that everybody wants. Um, What is it about the Yankees
5: you think that make them as good as they are? I think it's you have an explosive lineup where your one through nine hitters can do damage. And it's the same on both sides of the ball. And then you also have starters that can get you five quality innings, maybe allowing two to three runs. And then you can hand it over to your pen and they can be lights out for the rest of the game.
0: The bullpen is, is interesting. This, the pitching staff, it's its just like this hybrid of, um, you know, what we saw in the Astros Rays where you saw old-school mentality of you have a starter, go seven or eight, and then you had versus the Rays, which bullpen it. I hate that strategy, but they do it better than anybody. Um, the Yankees are doing a little bit of both.
5: Yeah. I think when you got someone like Severino, Tanaka, and even Paxton sometimes – you can let them go six to seven, and then that gives your other bullpen guys more rest whenever you got to throw out a bunch more pitchers in games where you know you have to win and you know you have to use up your bullpen to stay alive in the series.
0: So, talk a little bit about the season. Um, one of the things that I think it's always weird to think, but but Aaron Boone's my pick for manager of the year. And I feel like you should never pick a Yankee manager to be manager of the year only because they actually have a, a money to spend. But he really, I mean, what, something like 40 guys played for the Yankees this year. Like what made them uh, able to, to solve all the injury problems they had this year?
5: I think when you have guys like Brett Gardner, CC Sabathia in the locker room, and then you have guys go down when you had Judge Stanton and two other guys down at the same time you got to feel deflated. Like, you got to think this is the worst thing that could happen to us right as the AL East is kicking off. Like, this isn't good. But then you have those veterans in the locker room, and then you even still have Judge and Stanton in the locker room to be like, guys, we can do this. We have the manpower, the capacity to do this. And if we just put the assets together, then once everybody's healthy again, we can be super dangerous if we just keep steady.
0: I also think it's a real testament to how the Yankees have changed – you know, I, uh, I'm way older than you. So I remember when George Steinbrenner was running the team and he would just throw all the money in the what at top of the line guys. And if you lose any of those guys, there's nothing behind that. But they've really rebuilt. I mean, they've got, I mean, we're, we actually have on this episode, the Trenton Thunder, who is, I think, the doubly affiliate for the Yankees, won their division. And so you, you're seeing, unlike Yankees beforehand, with a solid farm system behind them.
5: Mm-hmm. You're kind of seeing, I'm pretty sure this is kind of how the Astros did their whole system and why they're so dominant now is they just, they picked them when they're young and they put them down in double-A, high-A, triple-A, and you see how they develop. And then you can trade those guys accordingly for the the guys that you need, maybe for a postseason run or just to have that extra utility player. Right. But you can still train those guys down in triple-A, and if they develop how you think they're going to, then you've added two to three more potential star players to your roster. All
0: right, so let's talk about the series. So obviously I'm an Astros fan. What do you think is the one thing I need to be worried about coming into the series?
5: I think it'd be the offense of the Yankees. Just if they get going, it could never stop. And you saw that against the Twins when they played at home. And I think also the bullpen, because if you don't have... If you don't get two to three runs within the first seven innings, five, seven innings, then it's a potential to just put up zeros the rest of the game. And so controlling the first uh, five innings is huge.
0: Okay. And so conversely, as a Yankees fan, what are you the most worried about with the Astros?
5: Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, and Zach Granke. (laughs) Starting pitching.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting um, from that perspective because I think everybody's a little gun shy about Greinke because he didn't pitch well against Tampa Bay. I think that was an eleven days off thing.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Cole is doing on otherworldly things. I think it's going to be a classic. I've got to go in seven.
5: Oh yeah,
0: you got to go in seven. So I'm not going to bother to get your pick because this is how the world works. But who do you have in the National League coming out?
5: Um, I'm going to take the Nationals. Uh-huh. I think I think they're going to take St. Louis, and I mean. You saw them in L.A. They were—I've never seen a Nationals team like that in the playoffs. Just the excitement, the energy, and, like, they never they never looked defeated in any of their games.
0: Let's talk real quick, um, and this is not something I told you to be prepared for, so sorry. A lot of people are coming down on Dave Roberts for throwing Kershaw in the seventh. I'm not— um, because, you know, the Yankees have an amazing bullpen. The Rays have an amazing bullpen. The Astros have, at least the top three, a great bullpen. Jansen was a grace fire all year. I don't know what Dave Roberts was supposed to do in that situation because Jansen could have easily given up those homers.
5: Mm-hmm. I think if you're if you're in his shoes and you can use one of the best starters to arguably play in our generation, why would you not throw him out there? Like, yes, he has his playoff woes, but at the same time, he's a major league pitcher that makes people look funny at the plate. <laughs> he does, yeah. And so if you can throw that out there and he, if he had struck out nine guys, everybody would be, be praising him. Yeah. All right. Well, here's Alex
0: Kanata. He is our Yankees expert. Thanks for being on Let's Get 2. Thank you. On deck, the Let's Get 2 interview of the week brought to you by Fine Line Sportswear. So we're excited to welcome to Let's Get To the voice of the Eastern League champion, Trenton Thunder, the AA affiliate of the world-famous New York Yankees, Mr. John Moses. John, how's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. Thanks for having me. Uh, Thanks for coming on. Uh, Very exciting. We actually watched the series on MILB-TV, I heard the audio call, I guess. Um, But before we get to that, tell me a little bit about uh, just how you got into baseball in the first place and ended up being the, the voice of a AA team. (laughs)
6: Uh, so I was, I did the, I did my college days at the university of new Haven, which is a division two in Connecticut, emerging from Philadelphia. Um, but the RA in my building, my freshman year, uh, was the program director for the campus radio station. So he stopped me during my freshman year and was like, color guy for women's basketball on Sunday. Like, are you here? And I said, yes. Uh, and then eventually it just sort of blossomed into something that I really enjoyed. I was looking for a way to keep myself close to baseball and basketball, which are the two sports that I love the most. Um, and radio sort of offered that opportunity, um, finished school in 2012 uh did a, did a year working as the assistant broadcaster and media relations representative for the Abilene Prairie Dogs in the now defunct United League, North American Baseball League, Abilene, Texas. I don't really know. Um, wow. <laughs> and then I did a year working for the Gary South Shore Railcats in the American Association before I found my way to Trenton in 2014. Uh, I did some networking with Adam Giardino, who at the time was moving over to the lead seat between the 13 and 14 seasons. Uh, He went to the University of Connecticut, and since I went to the University of New Haven, both in the state, the the great nutmeg state, uh, we had a few friends in common. I sort of networked to him, and then there was an opportunity that opened just a couple weeks before opening day in 2014, and uh, I've sort of been there since. Moved over to the lead spot after the 2017 campaign, so just finished off season number six, and it's been a heck of a ride.
0: Wow, you got really thrown into it, though, to going lead just weeks before the season started
6: well you know I, you know as far as you know adam leaving was the 2017 offseason we I, I sort of had an idea you know he and i are pretty close and we sort of had the 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 timeline worked out that you know there was a possibility that something happened, and it didn't end up happening until almost january of that offseason. but uh but it worked out nicely and uh, you know i'm happy to sort of be where i am today
0: so um one of the things i think uh, i like the most about baseball is baseball on the radio i've talked on this show a bunch about growing up and Milo Hamilton, who did the, used to do the call for the Astros was kind of the voice of my childhood, you know, for you, who were some of the voices in either baseball or basketball that you really liked listening to?
6: Well, gosh, I mean, I didn't know Phillies baseball without Harry Callis's voice until he passed away. That would have been May 2009 uh, after the Phillies claimed their world series. Um, And, you know, I think, you know, without really knowing Harry at all, or really knowing that I was interested in radio, Um, and do it and broadcasting in general, it just sort of hit me pretty hard when, when Harry passed away that, um, you know, there were entire generations of Phillies fans that only knew the game through his voice, whether it was through radio or through television. And, you know, I very much felt the loss of Harry Callis when I would turn on Phillies games during that 2009 season. And, you know, they were once again, a very competitive team that year. They traded for Cliff Lee during the year. So I was I was still hyper-focused, and I would have been, you know, going into my sophomore year of college that year. uh, I was still hyper-focused on the Phillies. I mean, I skipped a couple days of college to go to the Phillies parade in the fall of my freshman year of 2008. So I I would say in general, uh, you know, Harry Callis sort of helped illustrate for me just how important an announcer can be to the local market. Um, And I think, you know, still living it today is the guy who does Sixers Television, Mark Zumoff, who's a mentor of mine. Um, you know, I don't really know 76ers basketball without his voice. You know, Zumoff's first years calling the 76ers were 2000-ish, 2000-2001, which is about when I was 9, 10, 11 years old. Um, so really, you know, basketball on television in the local market is what I know best through Mark Zumoff's voice. And I think that connection is pretty special and it sort of helps push me into the career I lead today.
0: I think it's sort of cool, too, because you talked about Callis and, and you know, the Astros TV guy you might not know is his son, Todd. And I think it's sure. kind of cool that there's a he's talked about his dad all the time on the broadcast. And it's kind of cool that he's doing that same for a whole other generation of baseball fans.
6: It really is unique. Um, you know, I think that type of connection is really hard to find, particularly in today's day and age, um, where, you know, so many announcers are very much set on being you know, Sweden, if you will, being very neutral in their presentation. Um, but I think there's something to be said for those that, you know, watch the same team with you every night. And that's one of the things that I appreciate about the Phillies current voice, Tom McCarthy, is that, you know, he won't, he, he'll let it fly a little bit and he'll let you know like, hey, this, this is not good, <laughs> which I think I appreciate as a fan growing up for, uh, you know, rooting for one team my whole life. Uh, um, And I think a lot of local fans really appreciate that, that they feel like that there's another human being watching the games with them every night.
0: Yeah, it definitely is a lot more personal. I think it's why, you know, baseball fans, I I know a lot of Yankees fans that feel the same way when you roll into the playoffs. And at least on the TV side, you lose those voices in, in the name of the sort of national voices that don't have that same connection or that same journey that you went on.
6: Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that that's one thing that's hard for local baseball fans because, in general, baseball is a fan that you follow your local team so vigorously. Um, and, you know, it can be tough for people that get so used to listening to John Sterling on radio. And fortunately, they still get him through the postseason. But you lose Michael Kay, you lose Paul O'Neill, you lose John Flaherty, you lose Ken Singleton, some of these guys who've been there in the trenches all year long uh, with you, the fan, watching the game. Um, so it certainly brings a little bit of a different perspective and I can understand why people have an opinion about it, but um, you know, it really is sort of hard to watch some of those games without your, your home announcing teams. It's hard on your ears at first.
0: So let's talk a little bit about this Trenton team, because I think in, in the landscape of them being the double A team for the Yankees and seeing everything the Yankees went through injury wise, the fact that they, won the, the fact that they won the Eastern League, I think, is an even extra special accomplishment. So, you know, you guys are going through I know you won the first half, but at what point did you feel like you had a real chance that you are going to see a championship?
6: on September 1st um, because you know we as the AA affiliate often experience significant roster shuffle with September 1st. You know The Yankees pull up a couple of guys from the AAA roster so that they can have you know an extra infield, or a couple extra pitchers. Um, and usually there's a trickle down effect of sorts where you get pulled up a couple of guys from Tampa that end up having a big role in your postseason. And you know, we didn't lose a lot of the core guys that built who we were. Um, You know, shortstop Kyle Holder, first baseman Chris Gittins, uh, outfielders Ben Ruda and Rashad Crawford, uh, second baseman Hoy Park sort of all stuck in. So the core of the position player group stayed the same. And I had a feeling, you know, based on my six years in Trenton, that even if the pitching changed a little bit, even if, you know, AAA pulled a couple of guys because they were in the postseason hunt. And if the big leagues pulled a couple of guys up, that I really felt pitching wise, the Thunder would still be in very good shape. Um, given that Miguel Yajure had just entered from high A. Clark Schmidt had just gotten there, first rounder in 2017. Um, it felt pretty good. I, 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 and I said this to my broadcast partner, Spencer Smith, um, in my six years in, been in the postseason, four straight years, in the championship, 16 and 17 and now 19, I was saying to him at the end of the, at the end of the regular season, this is as good as I feel about a team winning the whole thing. Just because we kept a lot of the position player group and the core group that got us to where we were, and the pitching was just as good as what we had for most of the regular season, so it was it was sort of strange to feel really confident about your team when uh, when you're so used to 225 roster moves a year as I am in Trenton. Um, <laughs> right. But it was uh, it was it was sort of that that moment right at the end of the regular season. I said to myself, you know what, this this group's got a pretty good chance to do it, and I think it'd be fun.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting because you actually took my my next question, which is worrying about, you know, what the Yankees were going to do, because I did see it directly affect teams we followed all year. Uh, closer to home, the Round Rock Express absolutely had all this momentum going in. September call-ups happened, and now all of a sudden, the Corpus Christi Hooks are playing for the AAA championship, not the Express. So was there this, like, sigh of relief when the call-ups happened and you didn't lose, like you said, that core group where you just, like, yes. <laughs>
6: Yeah, a a little bit. Definitely. You know, I, I got that email from, you know, from our player development representative and I said to myself, Oh wow. Okay. We kept a lot of our guys. This, this could be pretty exciting. Um, and you know, we, we were just sort of lucky that we had such good people that were talented and, you know, we were fortunate they were able to keep a lot of those guys down the stretch of the year to uh, finish the whole thing off.
0: Well, like we mentioned, you know, we talk about how with the radio guy and then with the home TV guy on a, on a major league team, they, they really are part of the team. You're traveling with these guys. You are, you get to know them intimately. How do you stay emotionally in check? Like when you're trying to deliver the call, because I got to think you want to win almost as badly, if not as badly as they do.
6: Yeah. Um, you know, I definitely thought some about that um, during the championship series in Bowie, um, particularly when Hoy Park stole home in the seventh inning of Game Three to put us ahead two games to one, um, you know that that night we're driving back to the hotel and I'm saying to myself, "Gosh, you know," and I was just sort of reflecting on where we've been and how how long a year it has been, and you know, you think back to random games that sort of stick out in your mind over the course of the season, and you know, to finally look back. Uh, on the group of guys that were like sitting behind me on the bus going back that night. I said to myself, God, we're, we're going to do it. But, you know, I'm happy that we're doing it with our group, with our guys that, you know, Ben Ruda, Rashad Crawford, Kyle Holder, Chris Gittens, Hoy Park for all intents and purposes were pretty much with the team the first week of the year and on the opening day roster. Um, it was just really rewarding to to think about the grind that those guys go through because, you know, at the end of the day, like, I sit in a chair and I watch the game and I describe it on radio. And yes, so, you know, being on the bus with those guys and stopping at the rest stops and getting in at five in the morning, like, you know, I, I share in that. But like there is a inherent physical difference that those guys put their bodies through over the course of the year um, that I think made it all the more rewarding for them to, you know, to sort of understand the work that those guys put into not only physically, but mentally, where as the work that I do is mostly mental um, and then just a touch physical during the three hours that I'm on the air. Um, And, you know, that really sort of gave me that, that sense of accomplishment for them. You know, I was just really happy for those guys to finally finish the job and get a chance to celebrate a little bit. It was a fun year for them.
0: I can see, I can see what you mean though about it being special because that core stayed together I I was in uh, at the Del Diamond Four when the when the Express were eliminated. And I do remember thinking it was a little weird that Carlos Correa was on a rehab assignment and seemed almost unfair that he could have, you know. So I, I think it's cool that, like you said, that you got to be that same group that went, you know, wire to wire. Yeah. And, you know,
6: we I mean, I'm not sure how closely you follow the Eastern League playoffs, but I mean, we ended up with a whole bunch of rehabs. Uh, getting wedged into our roster the last week of the year. You know, we finished that first round series with Redding with Luis Severino starting game three, right. followed by Dallin Patances, followed by Steven Tarpley. You know, we had we had three guys active for both postseason series that never pitched. Will Carter, Braden Bristow, and Sean Semple, like never had an opportunity to get on the mound despite them having a pretty big hand in getting us to the postseason in the first place. Um, so it was a little bit strange to like get a couple of those rehabs. and. Um, you know, it was sort of funny that when the Thunder clinched that first round series sweeping Reading, Severino had, you know, finished his post game workout. He'd done local media. And, you know, I came downstairs after we'd signed off the post game show to coordinate any media that needed to happen. And Sevy was just. To be it. <laughs> uh, but it was, but it was pretty funny all in all uh, to sort of have all of those rehabs come to us at the end of the year. Um, and, you know, to have them have a hand in winning the whole thing.
0: So it was, it was fun for it's, sure. It's one of the things that makes minor league baseball unique, but, you know, speaking of that winning and, and I, I hope to get an honest answer from you, but maybe not. Um, I know a lot of the guys say that when you're, when they're getting ready to make that final championship call, it's something that just kind of happens, but you guys had a three to one. I mean, y'all, y'all pretty much dominated that series. Um, when did you start thinking about how you were going to call that final, the final out? um,
6: June 16th, 17th. Great. Seriously. Seriously. Like when when it looked
0: like we were going to clinch
6: the first half, um, you know, I wrote a couple of thoughts down just, to just to sort of have an idea, just so I wasn't starting from scratch in mid September. Um, you know, I didn't want to think about it too much, but I definitely wanted to have some idea about what I was going to say that what was, important in that moment i mean because you know the history of the trenton thunder we've been there this was season 26 we just finished off um and the team was very hard to find a championship until 2007 you know so the first 13 years of the franchise they made the championship series a couple of times never quite got over the hump and then they won it in 2007 won it again in 2008 so the first 13 years of the franchise, they win zero championships. Now the last 13 years, they've won it four times, 2007, 2008, 2013, and then this year in 2019. So I wanted to sort of have a little bit of the history of the moment in that call. So so yeah, I started to think about it kind of early and I don't know, maybe I'm unique in that way, but uh, it just sort of felt like something that was important to think about a little bit before we got to the final moment.
0: No, I, I, I love that. I because I I, and I think I, I'm obviously doing, I don't do play by play. I'm actually a filmmaker, but I'm, I I would would imagine that I would have definitely come in with at least some thoughts I would have wanted to share. But I have a couple yeah. of just now general baseball questions before we wrap things up. Um, sure. If you had a vote in the American League Cy Young, who would it be? Um, I want to vote for
6: Garrett Cole, but I, I really just because the second half has been absolute video game stuff but I, I think I think you have to give it to Justin Verlander um you know he had 300 strikeouts again he obviously hit the big career mark at the same time um you know that Houston team is really unbelievable and I think they're not where they are today without Verlander and they're probably still a very good team without Cole but I, I just think Verlander sets the tone for the whole thing so he's got my vote
0: yeah I think I honestly think to me um I think the no-hitter is, like, the thing that puts you over, like, if you start getting into stuff. Plus, I think Major League Baseball is afraid to make Kate Upton mad again on Twitter. So, <laughs> I'm not <laughs> – and and since you went to school in, in Connecticut, I just have to ask, is George Springer the best baseball player to come out of Connecticut ever?
6: Oh, that's a great question. Um, Springer is obviously very much worth it, you know, just – you know, just to – Let's you in on this. So, Adam Giardino, who was my broadcast partner in Trenton, he obviously finished at UConn and he was class of 2011. So, his Big East tournament in 2011, when he was calling baseball for them, was George Springer, Mike Ault. Who's was the infielder, uh, Nick Ahmed, maybe, uh, Matt Barnes was in their bullpen. You know, it was like the best Connecticut baseball team of all time. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, had a, had a lot of guys that ended up doing really, you know, impactful things in major league baseball. And, Um, I guess it's got to be Springer, right? I mean, there aren't too many guys that hit 30 homers and steal 20-ish bases and hit 300. And, um, you know, he's a guy that's going to make himself a lot of money when finally that free agency dollar comes around.
0: I think it's why the Astros aren't paying Cole, because they're going to pay him. Uh, He is uh, John Moses. He is the voice of the Trenton Thunder. Uh, John, thanks so much for being on Let's Get Two. And congratulations again on the championship. Yeah, thanks very much. And now on to close it out, the right-hander
5: from Houston, Texas, James Christopher.
0: So as we close it out, I want to talk a little bit about China. Now, look, this is not your political show. I actually hope that people that listen don't necessarily know where I lean politically, what side of the aisle I'm on. You know, truth be told, I'm about as middle of the road and centrist and moderate and perplexing to the people in this day and age when you all have to have a very specific and very rigid political ideology. So I try to stay away from politics. I want this show to be your break from the ugliness that is the American political system right now. But there are some things that I really believe all Americans care about and all Americans value, and that is freedom. And the NBA has a real problem on its hands with China, and I think they're going to have to really deal with it because of long-term repercussions. So the fact of the matter is the NBA has posited itself where we are going to be a league that is politically involved. We saw it with their reaction to the bathroom bill in North Carolina. And whether you agree with the bathroom bill and whether you agree with what they did, the fact of the matter is is that's become their brand. Their brand is we are going to be involved in areas where we think that injustice or oppression or whatever, what have you, is occurring. They've been outspoken. They allow their players to be outspoken. It was a direct reaction to how the NFL botched all of the Colin Kaepernick stuff. Again, wherever you sit on the, the opinion about Colin Kaepernick is immaterial. The NFL didn't do a great job of handling it. That, I think, is pretty clear. So the NBA said, well, we're going to be the opposite of that. We're going to be the league that lets our players talk. They let our coaches talk. Greg Popovich, who, again, I'm not your basketball fan. I think I've been to two NBA games in my entire life. But I dig Greg Popovich for lots of reasons. He served, all, all that stuff. So, But they let him talk. Well, now they're silent. And I think that's a problem. I think that if you are going to be this league that says we can go and we can talk about all the things in America that are wrong, you cannot be quiet because you need the business of one of the most oppressive regimes to ever exist on the face of the earth. You just can't. You can't. Sit idly by and be quiet because you want the billions of customers that exist in China and ignore the fact that in Hong Kong protesters are being shot. And then Taiwan and then Tibet, not to mention the oppression that the Chinese people themselves exist under the lack of freedom of speech, the human rights violations, the limits to children, all of those things that happen. And so I think you make yourself really, really hypocritical by turning a blind eye to it, to not letting a CNN reporter ask a question of an American athlete and have the Rockets shut that question down. That that it's a, it, I think it's a really dangerous direction to be going. Sports is one thing, and I know that we all want to make money. We all want our businesses to be profitable. I someday would like the show to be profitable. But we can't do it at the expense of our values. We can't do it at the expense of those core ideals that make this country what it is. And I know that we can't be the world's policeman. even though I think for the best of intentions, oftentimes we can't keep getting involved everywhere when we perceive something that needs to be fixed or saved. You know, I'm a history major. I understand that that is the position that we put ourselves in post-World War II, but also the rest of the world asked us to be in, whether we want to admit it or not. And there are some that don't, but that's the case. That's the fact. You can look at all areas of history since World War II. I know that we can't be the world's policeman, but what we can do 100% of the time is not exacerbate a problem by turning a blind eye to it just so we can make some extra money selling stuff in China. And so I really hope that the basketball, uh, that the NBA finds some sort of a moral compass on this issue and start standing up for people and using their very powerful voice to say, no, this isn't right. Instead of being quiet about it, instead of having those individuals who are part of a team. I'm going to be honest. I didn't know Daryl Morey was until this all started, but good for him and shame on is it Tillman Fertitta or Tillman Furtada? One of them is a dish. One of them is an owner for essentially threatening him with his job. So the whole thing is gross, and I really hope the NBA figures it out. But, yeah, like, again, not a political show. Next time, we're going to have another packed show. We're going to be visited by the Lexington Legends, talk about their big win. We are going to be talking League Championship Series wins and the World Series. So enjoy the LCSs. And until next time... Let's get to.